What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. This is the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. You're listening to Nightmare on Film Street. The current time is 6.66. Traffic is clear ahead from here to the afterlife. But it's hell outside. For the next hour, you're on Nightmare Time. So, let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare on Film Street. I'm Kim. I'm John. And this week, forgive me, Lord, for I have synth. That's right. This week, we are talking about two contemporary classics with two incredible scores. And very groovy. Very groovy, very synthwave, very chill and highly alarming. <laughs> chill and murderous. Oh, that's a good vibe right there. That is kind of my vibe, essentially. That's, down to its core. Yeah. I want to be driving at night, but also there needs to be a killer in the backseat. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that's <laughs> the pumpkin spice latte vibe I'm going for. It better, it has to taste like the last one I'll ever have. Ooh, <laughs> that's good. Write that down. Specifically, we're talking about Panos Cosmatos's Mandy and and David Robert Mitchell's It Follows. But before we get into it, Kim, what's keeping you creepy this week? Well, it is officially October. Surprise, surprise, if you didn't know. We, yeah, we didn't get a lot of time to talk about it in last week's episode. We are celebrating a brand new month with a brand new theme at the NOFS podcast website and here on the podcast, hence all this synthwave talk. We are celebrating Sound of Screams month, and we are getting into the screams and the scores and the soundtracks that make up our genre We're going to be celebrating those films here on the podcast with a bunch of sound-themed episode, as well as at nofspodcast.com with a ton of cool lists, editorials, recommendations for how to add some spooky soundscapes to your Halloween season. 
And speaking of Halloween season, we are just getting into the thick of our 31 day horror challenge. Hashtag 31 day horror challenge. That is on Instagram, Twitter, social media, all over the place. We have made a fun list of prompts, themes for each day of the month. And you are challenged to come up with a new movie to watch every day of the month. We have done Drac Attack, Hail Satan, (laughs) Autumn Leaves, some fun themes that will get you kind of thinking outside of the box and watching some horror movies that you don't maybe always watch, some that are new to you, and just some fun way to keep your watching fresh this month. We have some really fun, specifically Halloween themes coming up, and then some that include different decades of horror and some fun things like a movie that has Halloween costumes in it or pumpkin carving, so you really got to think outside of the box. If you are challenged, hit us up at nofspodcast.com for tons of lists and recommendations that we'll be posting all month long. And we'll also be posting some movie recommendations every day over on Twitter and Instagram. On Instagram, we are at Nightmare on Film Street, like spelt out S T R E E T. <laughs> and on Twitter, we are at NOFS Podcast. And the hashtag is 31 Day Horror Challenge. I do them in all caps, but I mean, you do you. This has been a lot of fun because I'm the stickler in the house that is always trying to push us to watch new stuff. Because there's there's too many new movies out there, old movies we haven't seen yet, and I just, I think it's a waste of time to watch things we've seen a thousand times. Except for Halloween time. Except for Halloween time. So, I mean, this is doubly great for you, but, like, I I enjoy revisiting these classics once a year. (laughs) (laughs) Because, like, uh, as much as I will never say no to watching Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween. Trick or treat. Trick or treat. Why not Why not save them for October? They all oh, do they play better in October. I've had the hardest time not playing the, the, the original Halloween and trick or treat already in the list because they fit every single fucking category. The, oh, that's the thing about any movie that's set on Halloween. Yes, and I'm trying so hard to save them later in the month because I know it's going to get tricky on costume day oh, yeah. and pumpkin carving day and then all Hallows Eve day. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to save those like juggernaut films for later in the month. Also, future self Kim, Halloween Eve Kim, it's gonna be like why did I already fucking watch this movie I don't have time to watch six movies tonight but I guess I am that's yeah you really you gotta pace yourself out because you know there are those classics you really really have to watch before the end of the month that's what's always fun about it we just wrapped up a giveaway as well didn't we Yes, alongside our 31 Day Horror Challenge, we've been giving away some fun prizes, DVDs, Blu-rays, all that fun stuff, pins, stickers, and this week we kind of did a little special thing and we aligned it with our Neighborhood Watch newsletter. So if you missed out this week because you weren't a subscriber, hit us up at nofspodcast.com slash neighborhoodwatch, and that is spelt the Canadian way with a O-U in the neighbor. Oh, we probably shouldn't have done that. No, I'm steadfast on this. That is the correct way to spell neighbor. It looks weird without a U. I mean, I will I will die on a hill that says the R comes before the E at the end of theater, but I don't know about neighborhood. I don't know about color. Yes. I think yeah. we should have given it to him. So, neighborhood and theater, I'm a huge stickler for, but I will spell favorite and color the American way. Sure. But I don't know. I just can't do it with those two words. They're just so fancy. <laughs> they do, they yeah, they, they do they do punch them up a little bit. Neighbor. I don't know. <laughs> but the yeah, the URL is nofspodcast.com slash neighborhoodwatch to subscribe to our email newsletter. We put one out every two weeks with kind of all the fun happenings at the nofspodcast.com website, at the podcast, giveaways. I do a fun horoscope at the bottom with some fun tidbits. And there's also some fun facts and stuff. And that's, yeah, just another fun way for us to keep you guys updated. 
and now there's prizes involved, so why not subscribe? As well as the 31-Day Horror Challenge, all October long at SalemHorror.com. You can check out the Salem Horror Fest. It's digital this year. You don't have to be at Salem proper to enjoy it. They're doing a whole... Mu- There's a whole ton of shit at Salem Horror Fest this year. And it's it's kind of insane how much shit they've put together. Including a tribute to horror favorite Joe Dante. There are panel discussions and retrospectives of, you know, all of your favorites of his, including Gremlins 2, The New Batch. I don't know if you heard, Kim and I moderated the 30th reunion panel of that movie with Joe Dante, producer Michael Fennell, and actor Zach Galligan and Robert Picardo. It was a hell of a lot of fun. You can watch it right now on demand at SalemHorror.com. We'll also be throwing it up in our podcast feed later this month as a bonus Nightmare Alley episode. So if you want to get that audio, it will be coming to you soon. And if there isn't already enough stuff going on in October, we haven't even mentioned the hundred movies that are hitting Netflix and Hulu. Books of Blood. Great. Wonderful. Vampires vs. the Bronx. Great. Lots of fun. Super great. (laughs) Um, There is the Nightstream uh, Film Festival. That's also happening online, of course, because everything is, because you should stay home. Movie theaters aren't safe. Um... It's a really interesting festival because it's several genre film festivals, including Boston Underground, Brooklyn Horror Film Festival, North Bend, Overlook. They all came together and they're doing one online event. It's it's kind of insane that it's taking place over four days because there's literally like an entire month worth of stuff for you to check out. There are panel discussions with Nia DaCosta, with the writers and directors of Tales from the Hood. I think it's the 25th anniversary right now. There are so, so many panel discussions going on and events that you can take part in. It's, it's absolutely insane. But if you're just there for the movies like we are, uh, there are also a lot of really, really fun uh, world premieres including Frank and Zed, which I'm really looking forward to. It looks like it was a passion project that took years to do because it is a horror, gory horror movie with puppets. And Mandible! And Mandibles! <laughs> the, the new film from Quentin Dupuis, director of Rubber, which I'm sure you've seen. Woo! Instead of a killer tire, we've got a giant fly that these guys find and keep in their trunk. And I, I guess step to question mark step three profit I think is the is essentially the plan of the movie also on top of all these great movies and events there's also this fun little online lounge where you can actually like oh my hang God. out in the bar I completely and forgot sit about that. at a table and talk to people and like walk up to people and walk away from people you're tiny cute little like pixelated dudes but they're so cute it's so fun yeah uh, we're definitely going to be there hanging out whenever we have free time we're going to be in there I don't know drinking beers and Whatever else you do in the bar. Yeah, meet standing us. Standing around. Meet us at the virtual. <laughs> meet- Waiting for the screening time. <laughs> oh, boy. It's going to be great. I'm actually really stupid excited for all those small little things. It's been so long since I've stood in a bar. I don't care that it's virtual. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lot like playing Zelda or Final Fantasy, like, way, you know, way back in the day. Like, real old Game Boy style stuff. And as you get close to people, your Zoom video starts to come into focus and, like, you can overhear conversations. It's... Such a cool, interesting idea because it really does kind of recreate that film festival experience of hanging out at a bar and just talking about movies with people. So come have a virtual beer with us. We'll be at the Nightstreams Film Festival all weekend, essentially. There's there's so much to do that I honestly think we'll probably just be sitting in front of our laptops all day. I mean, it's no different than the rest of the past six months. I mean, it's true, but I mean, like, watching movies all day, you know? Like, <laughs> Still, rest of the last six months. That is very true. <laughs> I was I, I was looking at my letterbox stuff. I've watched over a thousand hours of movies this month. I don't. Or not this month, this what? year. This year. <laughs> uh, but lastly, before we get into the show, because I want to- Because it is a doozy. Oh, boy. This- 
it's we get deep in some shit this <laughs> this week oh man it's a super long conversation so apologies for stretching this intro out uh but you know if you're maybe if you're not having a good day i wouldn't listen to it yet because like we there's a lot of philosophical conversations about the nature of death save it for a bubble bath yeah oh this is a bubble bath episode for sure <laughs> real quick though i want to give a shout out to melanie d kelly colton tasha john scott samantha dion brian cullen matt jackie danielle and stephanie uh, I wish you could have seen me reading these because for some crazy he reason. He keeps pumping his fist. <laughs> yeah, like every single one of them. Like I'm really cheering these names. <laughs> oh man, I don't, uh, I just, I don't, yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm super thankful for your patronage. I'm really excited to have you on the Patreon team. We've been doing some really interesting stuff. We've been hosting videos through Scener, which we discovered after Fantastic Fest. Another film festival we haven't even had a chance to talk about. Guys, we haven't slept. <laughs> Uh, but it gives us the ability to do like a video intro and then chat with you while we watch the movie. Yeah, so we have a bunch of stream and screams scheduled for our patrons in October. And because it's such a crazy month, we've put all the dates and times up already at patreon.com slash Nightmare on Film Street. So you can see all of the things we have scheduled this month. We're doing two stream and screams with Scener. And we are doing one bonus episode, which will be coming out mid this month for a little horror anthology called The Mortuary Collection that's coming to Shudder October 15th. Keep an eye out for please, it. Please, please, please keep an eye out for it. It oh, is yeah. the most wonderful movie. Two years running, favorite movie of the year, oh, right? Oh, so good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So great. We've also have, we have a Nightmare Alley conversation coming up with director Ryan Spindell next Thursday. So This is just too much information, John. We are just like running a mile a minute. We're, what, 12 minutes? And we still have to send them to, like, an hour and a half episode. Uh, 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 Bly Manor! uh, Also Bly Manor! There's there's too much. It's October. It's the greatest time of the year, but it is very much of an overload. Um, I'm sure you feel the same way. I hope you're finding time to watch new horror movies, because there is a lot of incredible content out there right now. Scare me on Shudder. That was amazing, too. Right? Holy (laughs) shit, what a cool little indie movie that's got, like, five campfire stories. Yeah, it was a spooky, fun little cabin movie. Loved it. (laughs) Oh, too much stuff. Too much stuff. So happy. (laughs) (laughs) Enough of that, though. Let's get into it. Let's talk about the the insane heavy metal acid trip that is Panos Cosmatos' Mandy. crimson, primordial sky, the wretched warlock reached into the dark embrace. His fist closed around the serpent's eye. Strange and eternal. I need you to get me that girl I saw. Do you know what to do? special one, Mandy. I, too, am a special one. Let us be so very special together. So what you gonna do with that thing? We're going hunting. So what you hunting? It's crazy evil! 
You're so in love. I'll show you love. Oh, man. They wronged you. You exude the cosmic darkness. It glowed from within. Strange and eternal. Mandy from 2018 is currently sitting at a 6.5 out of 10 on IMDb, 91% on Rotten Tomatoes, 3 out of 4 from RogerEbert.com, and 3.6 out of 5 on Letterboxd. This is actually a more recent film for us to be talking about on the podcast. Yeah. We normally go a little bit more classic. This one's still kind of fresh. I would say this is like the third or the fourth time we've watched it. Because we saw it in theaters, and uh, it's been on Shutter, so it's been pretty accessible. And yeah, also, yeah. it looks really fucking dope. So, like, it's a really great movie to just put on, even especially the soundtrack. The soundtrack oh, is so... Right. It's the reason we're talking about it today. We watched the trailer that came out of Sundance and uh, was, like, all, very sold on it. Like, what's that? Nicolas Cage in a chainsaw fight? I'll see that movie. Yeah, I'll see that movie. Plus, it just looked real weird. Yeah, I was like, ethereal pink woods movie. Yes, yeah. please. But, like, was this not a more hypnotic movie than you were expecting i was not i i was expecting like maybe not like balls to the walls action kind of revenge story but i i really didn't expect it to be sort of an ethereal fantasy movie i don't know it's hard to say because my my first instinct is to be like no this is exactly what i expected it to be <laughs> it is almost like a a moving poster or like a kaleidoscope upon itself oh yeah it's a film but it's also like this one of those neon lamps you'd get at spencer's gifts or yeah yeah, the the section of the back of the store where everything's black it is the back of spencer's gifts from 1999 those velvet posters that you colored in what was up with all those you colored them in with the neon markers and then you lit a black light on it and you're like "Ooh, that looks so cool i have mushrooms in my basement with unicorns and shit it was like a 60s thing that became a 90s thing that then became a Spencer's Gifts thing. Acid and- is timeless, baby. That's what I'm <laughs> learning. But yeah, so Mandy was exactly what I anticipated. I think I was surprised how linear the story was. I okay. think I was expecting when we first saw this in theaters and we were going to see it that I was going to be a little like checked out. Okay. <laughs> because, well, the type of filmmaker or the type of film goer I am, I really like story. I wasn't expecting there to be a whole lot of story. So I was just anticipating having a night of fun visuals and being like, that looked and sounded great. I never need to see it again. But it has a surprising amount of story and it's a really fun story. Yeah, you really aren't the kind of person who enjoys like that art house style. Yeah, I don't like film for film's sake. Like, <laughs> you need to give me a story or cut it off at 90 minutes. You think this is probably like your cutoff, really? Like This, I think, is, is the edge of that sphere for me. Because there are plenty of scenes with absolutely no dialogue. Yeah, beyond, <laughs> beyond this movie is a gorge where I will not go. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like half of my movie watching. Exactly. This is Especially where during quarantine. <laughs> oh man, did I just start fucking... Yeah, we're watching all these art house films from the 60s. What's that? You got short films that no one's ever seen? Put it, bring them over here. Oh. Yeah, like that one time I woke up and you were watching a movie, that alien movie, or it's not aliens, it's like blue people. Oh, Fantastic Planet? Yeah. You were just watching it like five in the morning and I was like, what <laughs> is this world? 
that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's my that's my vibe. That's a really linear story. You can totally get. Is that. it because it just looks like little blue visuals? To me. I mean, like, so what? They're is it... cute little blue visuals, but they look like little blue visuals. What did you think of the pink visuals in Mandy? Um, they were fucking dope. Yeah. Yeah. Is it only because there were only a few of them? Like, would you have? No. Oh, you I, wanted more? Oh, I. The whole movie is visuals. Like the whole thing is this weird kaleidoscope. A lot of the conversations, especially in like the first third of the movie where we're really following Mandy. Yeah. All of the conversations between her and Nicolas Cage are through like different lighting. And it's almost like there's like a strobe light. There's breathing with the lighting. Hell yeah. At first you're kind of like, ooh, this is a lot. But then you just forget about it. Oh, no, this movie is a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Let's be real. You just get taken into the scene. Yeah. I think they live under, like they live in an area where they can see the Aurora Borealis at night, right? Like is am I supposed to assume that the, the, uh, we can see, they, they they can actually see those colors? Or I don't it... know if it's literal. Like I watch this movie like it's a fable, and so it's it's not in a real place kind of thing. It's not real circumstances. These aren't real sets. Sure. It's kind of a story that could be like cut and pasted at any time. I I like the way you were describing that it's you could plot it anywhere. It's it's fantastical. It's a fable. Uh, I, I love looking at the back half of the movie like that. I really, really do enjoy watching the beginning of it as real world stuff. I love their little cabin too. Like their cabin is so cool. When you get those, when you get the establishing shot from the outside and you see that it's just made up of like a haphazard bunch of windows. There's a circle window here. There's 300 different rectangular windows. It's, it's like a hodgepodge of windows and you're just, I just love it. I would definitely rent this like for a writer's retreat. Like, oh, gotta gotta get that final draft done. We're going into the woods. We're renting the Mandy House. <laughs> that sounds like a summer. The oh, Mandy man. House. You know, we everybody like even me. Like when I think about the cinematography of this movie and the visuals of it, like it's all black with neon pink and purples and reds. But like the daytime stuff in the very beginning of the movie are maybe some of my favorite shit. Like just the two of them out on the boat. In this, like, crystal blue water. Incredible shot. The whole movie, to me, it's very uh, Last Unicorn. <laughs> it's got a real Last Unicorn It's vibe. got a real, especially the even the fonts and the... Um, the music, too? The animation. <laughs> it's very Last Unicorn. <laughs> yeah, this really hits a specific... Aesthetic. For you. <laughs> yeah, it really does. It really, really does. This is a wild question, and I was going to save this for the end of the podcast, but I'm just going to throw it out here now that we're at the beginning of the movie. Red, played by Nicolas Cage, is a lumberjack. He's a logger. He's chopping down trees and shit, right? Mm-hmm. Is all of that wood used to build the <gasps> church at the end? <laughs> did, I, did I just blow your mind? There's literally a scene where he is like going through the woods. He's exhausted, and he passes out after killing a bunch of people, and we see the shot of, like, the row of trees that have been cut down that lead to a cliff, and down at the bottom of the cliff is this brand new spanking all-wood temple. Oh, my God. Like, is Jeremiah Sands actually part of a larger organ not larger organization but like when i watched them i think like oh the the dumb manson family yeah i just assumed that they were like poor nomads they yeah. live in that van and they they crash at cheap hotels or they pick up or kidnap new people and indoctrinate them and then like yeah. the clan gl- grows and and then they're just nomads they move from one place to another place until they get evicted or kicked out right yeah but 
okay, and the other thing is that, like, maybe his right-hand man is the guy who owns that logging operation. I have no fucking idea, right? Maybe he just got in bed with hypnotized, poisoned, and and uh, brainwashed whoever owns that logging company. I have Fuck. no idea. Fuck, John. Holy shit. You just dropped a bomb. I never correlated the two. but Oh, I- neither did I until last night. But you're so right, because I know the part that you're talking about right after he crashes the car. And I was like, this looks like where he was logging at the beginning of the yeah, movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's cleared, like, there were trees there. Fuck. Like, it's this weird circle. Like, he's been working for Jeremiah Sands already, and, like, the reason that Jeremiah is there is because of the logging Ugh. and yada. It's a whole thing. Yeah. Fuck. The, the other thing that I should probably get out of the way right now is that there's just too much thought put into this movie like i think if you really try and pick apart every little detail um there are callbacks to this and foreshadowing for that and little things that are maybe monumental over here but could possibly just be nothing like this this is my kind of movie where it's it's just great to watch it's super fun but if you really want to dig i mean i don't think i got any of that but (laughs) (laughs) okay my mistake so (laughs) give me an example (sighs) Give me just one. Well, that would have been my biggest one, right? Like a leading up to okay, that okay, would have okay. been the church. But so Starless is, I don't know, like Starless is the opening track of the movie. It's like, it's got a cool groovy vibe uh, played by King Crimson. If I, if, I, if I remember correctly from the album Red, period, full stop. They can't see your face. <laughs> just <laughs> mic dropping with my eyes to nobody. <laughs> but but also just uh, like unfortunately I did not look up the lyrics before we were before we sat down to record but like while I was watching it last night it seems to really sort of lay the groundwork for the the feeling of the rest of this movie mm-hmm. and is it like the tapestry at the beginning of Midsummer that's exactly what it is baby <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know like it's starless a big chunk of this movie uh, like a really key moment is this dream this memory that Mandy has talking about these baby starlings and how. You know, her dad just, like, taught a bunch of kids to smash them into the ground, and it was... Like, there a, is a I, lot of great mirroring to this story. Yeah, exactly, right? And and it, Mandy is a starling, and when she dies, Nicolas Cage is starless. Like, he's left in this void of his life, right? And now he just becomes this all-consuming, like... Rage machine? Rage machine. <laughs> Fuck, even all the conversations about, like, the planets, like... I just sound like a crazy person going off. You on do, this. but like, I like it. I'm sorry. <laughs> so like, I, I <laughs> just go, John. Give oh, yourself over to, I, the, no. to the metaphor. I need my chalkboard, and I need <laughs> I need my red yarn, and I just need to bridge every piece together. It's bad. So what are the planets? Oh man, this is not how I wanted this podcast to go. <laughs> I was like, yeah, no, it'll be fine. We'll just have a fun chat, and like, no, like, no we need to overdose on this movie. <laughs> Okay, so so Mandy's reading a bunch of books about the the universe and planets and stuff. I love her pulpy book that she's reading. Yeah, like she's reading some real, what's the nicest word? It's sci-fi. Oh, it's definitely sci-fi. Yeah, Yeah, like super fantasy Mm sci-fi stuff. But the book, the the I don't know if it's that book in particular. She's talking to to Nicolas Cage about a book that she's reading about planets, and she says that Jupiter is her favorite planet, and on Jupiter is this this giant storm that's been raging forever, and mm-hmm. it's so big that it could it's as big as Earth. It could literally tear apart and consume the planet. And the question is whether or not Nicolas Cage is that storm, or whether Mandy is that storm, mm. right? Metaphors aside, I do want to spend a little bit of time talking about. 
Andrea Riseborough as Mandy because a lot of this film is absent of her because um surprise surprise it's a revenge film she she dies yeah um, we don't get that Mandy title card until after she's already gone yeah there's some really interesting moments with her where you it's it's weird because Andrea Riseborough has a really unique look and she's got this very naturally haunted expression there are some really wonderful visuals of her like walking through the woods yeah and when she's coming out of the water at night and she's got this like natural like accidental renaissance about her (laughs) um but she looks like she's faded you know there's something tragic about her totally yeah the whole beginning of the movie like you don't feel safe around her but like safe for her like there's there's danger around her but the the movie is pretty calm at the beginning like they show mandy and red's love and their like simple little life together and her talent like she's an artist and she's really good she does these like fantasy paintings but the the two defining moments i think where we actually get to see her as a person are not when she's with nicholas cage it's when she's working at the bookstore or when she's working at the convenience store mm-hmm. and she's more interested in her book than doing like customer service. And it isn't till that woman like rubs her the wrong way that you kind of that inkling that it's uncomfortable, but mainly she's just like, okay, it's $5. Like yeah, give me the $5. The I want to get back to this book. Yeah. And when she's high as fuck after being kidnapped and she laughs in Jeremiah's <laughs> face, like those are the two <laughs> defining moments of her character. There's also that moment where she finds the, like the baby deer out in the woods Early in the morning, before Nicolas Cage has gotten up. Like, something compels her to go out into the woods. Like, she's looking for something, but she doesn't know what. Yeah, see, that really um, kind of, like, fuels the tragedy for me. Hell like, yeah, yeah. There's something about her that it's, it's like, this this natural thing, kind of like the planets that rotate the Earth. Like, there's something, it's like she's doomed, mm-hmm. and she lives this doomed life, and... Even, like, at some point, Nicolas Cage says that he wants to leave, and she's like, why would we leave? Like, I love this place. I love it here. But there's something, I don't know, like, there's something just tragic about her. So, like, that scene with the baby deer, uh, where she sheds a tear for it, and, like, that baby deer looks great, by the way. Like, it's definitely not a real dead baby deer, but they, oh boy, do they do a good job. Uh, That scene in particular, and the fact that, like, she's up late at night. Um, obviously worried about something like she I think that's that's where she relays the story about the starling so that's clearly on her mind and there is some fear in there I would assume for herself like she doesn't know why and Nicolas Cage is also having a nightmare she wakes him up she asks him what his bad dream was about he doesn't necessarily remember which is also where he says I was thinking maybe we should leave here mm-hmm. like there is a foreboding sense of doom mm-hmm. that they both have like they know something bad's about to happen and like maybe it's them like i think mandy whether she realizes or not has like she she understands that she's in danger yeah but i think there's something maybe about kind of relating her to a starling and in in this grand scheme like she is powerless to it so she doesn't really put up a fight with anything you know what I mean? And I and not not to say that she had opportunity, like she no. was kidnapped and drugged beyond reason. But yeah, there's just there's something so haunting about watching her. And like the more I see this movie and like, you know, the end watching the beginning just makes it more sad. Oh, super sad. It's so it's it's harder to watch every time. Hell yeah. 
that fucking scene where the cult shows up for the first time, though. Like, this movie does such a great job of just injecting tone and emotion with, like, oh, here's a fucking red color gel for you, and here's <laughs> a new fucking track that's just, like, dissonance with guitars. Man, it's good. It's real good. Jeremiah Sands is so fucking creepy. Yeah, because so we see them all in, in the car, and it's kind of just glimpses of all these cult members. And it's when he sees Mandy for the first time, and then, like, time stops. Pretty much, right? And then he's being all emo in his bed. And you get, like, the hierarchy of the cult from that one scene. Oh, it's like, real good. Right away. It's so well done. Yeah, he's just, he's just, oh, he's in despair. And some somebody has to come check in on him. And she's, like, so empathetic to his struggle. Like, what's going on, Jeremiah? What can we do? And he just, like, freaks out at her, basically. You're and- too clingy! <laughs> she's definitely, like... His wife at some point. Right? I have no idea. She had to be the first one in the group. I she's very possessive. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. And she's super, super jealous of any new additions. Oh, de- yeah. <laughs> like, you could see it in her eyes, right? And like he, uh, he he gets his right-hand man. He basically just says, I need that girl. You know what you need to do. I'll pass you this mythical flute. Yeah, what's up with that? <laughs> <laughs> do you have the horn of Abraxas? <laughs> like, yeah, I got it right here. The mythical horn of Abraxas. <laughs> And then, like, green light. Fuck, every time they... So, like, are these things enchanted? Because, like, every every time they, like, they take out the sword of, like, I don't know, Kadala. Or the horn of Abraxas. Like, so, there's just a green strobe light that fucking highlights just the passing of the object. Like, it isn't across the whole scene. It isn't across anything else but the close-up on the but object. But, like, okay, the Hellraiser bikers. The Cenobikers? Yeah. That get... Yes. That get called by the Horn of Abraxas. Yes. They are definitely squatter demons, right? That like, Demons who just squat oh. in trailer parks. I mean, like, I don't, I, I, I don't know that they're actually demons, but hell yeah. Like, they are, a, right. they are the closest thing we're going to get to demons on Earth. Like, I thought they were just wearing outfits, but upon further inspection, that one demon was, like, really goopy. Oh, you really, you really think they're not human beings anymore? I think that they, yeah, I think they might be enchanted. Oh. <laughs> I mean, not far, like, not, not, uh... They drank from the waters of Abraxas. <laughs> yeah, like, ah. They sold their souls for rock and roll. <laughs> That's good. That's real good. <laughs> yeah, like, I've, I've never... I mean, they were pretty quickly disposed of by one angry Nicolas Cage, but... Yeah, one of them got killed with an X-Acto blade, you know? Yeah, like, that one guy was like, I would sell my penis for a knifier penis. <laughs> Oh, I don't think he cut his dick off, but yeah, like, oh man, that guy is fucked. That guy is so... And then Metal Jesus was like, granted. (laughs) Yeah, those guys are terrifying. And then that one guy that dies first was like, I wish I was entirely nails like a hedgehog, but nails. He seems like the one guy you wouldn't want to run over with your car, right? And Metal Jesus was like, granted. (laughs) The Cenobikers are probably a good spot to talk about LSD in this movie, right? <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? Like, they're just tripping balls eternally at this point, right? They are so far beyond anything that they, they are just riding high on some crazy bad acid that is just making them, like, they're, they're, like you said, they're fucking demons, essentially, right? Like, I still think they're human beings, but they are just, they are not of this earth I anymore. I don't know, though. They, like, they eat that one kid, right? Like, they eat him, don't they? So they're cannibals. Okay. And then they have drugs that's like goop. So the goop is is the acid, right? Is is, it? Isn't that the acid? Well, so Bill Duke, who, who Nicolas Cage goes to see, 
Uh, by the way, I don't know if you remember this when when we're, we're, oh, we got to I think we got to backtrack. We got to go back to that acid trip moment. <laughs> but like when when um, Jeremiah Sands is standing in front of the the hallucinating Mandy and says, what do you see? She says, I see the Reaper fast approaching. Like one, we all know Nicolas Cage is going to kill them all. But his crossbow is it's called, called the, the Reaper. Reaper. Right. Oh, man. Yeah, it's so it's, good. It's great because she dies. And it's also great because, yeah, Nicolas Cage is the Reaper. Nicolas Cage is the John Wick of this universe. He definitely put behind... The John Wick of the woods. John I, Wick of the woods! I be the Wick of the woods! <laughs> <laughs> he definitely put behind a life of violence for Mandy. That's a jump, but sure. Yeah, okay, he had a crossbow. Why, why is the crossbow in safekeeping with a friend of his? A friend of his who very clearly was in some shit. Okay, you know, like, oh, right, fair. And he gave up drinking True. for Mandy. Probably because when he got drunk, he became very violent. I okay, don't know. Okay, so side note. I don't think too Mandy. That hallucination afterwards, after she's already dead, and we kind of get to see the glimpse of when they first met at that bar, which I'm assuming is when they first met That's at the that That's the very bar. end of the movie, yeah. You see them like seeing each other for the first time, and yeah. there's like this really great smile from Mandy from Andrea Riseborough, and it's so sweet and so wonderful. But then it's almost like gets super meta, and you see the frown because the connection is gone, like they're not together yeah. anymore. It's so sad. It's it's so sad. It's a lot. Like there's so much in this movie that is just shared glances between Mandy and Red, right? Like, and that's, that's a whole chunk of the beginning of this movie. Spe- oh man, through the fire when they're just out. Like in their summer day. That's my favorite shot because she's got this scar that's unexplained in the movie. Yeah. And one of her eyes can't dilate, which was like crazy. She's got like David (laughs) Bowieism. She's got Bowieism, yeah. But yeah, like there's there's something so beautiful and haunting and and fragile in in that like it's all there in like five seconds. You get everything from Andrea Riseborough in that moment. Damn, she's an incredible actress. Why do they gotta use hornets though? (laughs) Right? Yeah, and it was like, how does the hornet survive being? Man, pickled? I hope you. It's just I, magic, John. It's I, just magic. You I just hope... have to accept the fact that there is some non-earthly plane shit happening here. Maybe yeah. this film takes place on Uranus. It's possible. I really hope you or guys Venus. have seen this movie because we're not doing a very good job talking about the beats of it. Like we're just we're all over the place. None of it makes any sense. But that's kind of the ride you're in for with a movie like Mandy. Like it's not. It's not incredibly plot-driven, right? Like, really, the beat-for-beat is Nicolas Cage's wife, girlfriend, is murdered. He seeks revenge. He is successful in revenge credits. Like, that's the story. Like, it's it's any revenge story. It's very, very simple. But it's where it decides to linger in the beats of their life is is where this movie is, is really interesting. And in Mandy's death, she spends a lot of it high on drugs, unfortunately, because she's beat. They're trying to indoctrinate her into this cult. Mm -hmm. And she is tripping so fucking hard. And it's, oh, man, is it like one of the greatest things that I've ever seen on screen, especially when we first saw it. Like, oh, God, because like the entire the entire movie screen is taken up with Jeremiah Sands face. And he's just talking all of his weird dumb stuff while he's, <laughs> he's playing his dumb Charles Manson type song. He's he's Charles Mansoning her. Yeah, and he's like giving he's giving his, her his speech about how yeah, oh, I went to God and God told me that I, I am important and I should have everything I want, so I took it. And 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 that's exactly what he's trying to do with Mandy, but their faces 
are merging. I don't know how else to describe it, but yeah. like we're fading Mandy's face on top of Jeremiah Sand's face and like they become one and it's just like it's it's all so perfectly put visually. Like you you really get the experience that she's going through. Mm-hmm. Which is also why it's so great when she kind of can still stand up for herself in that moment. Like she's not fully brainwashed. She's she's capable of laughing at this guy. Be like you wrote this music. <laughs> yeah. That's your willy that's out. That's your dick. <laughs> oh man, when she starts laughing at him, that is so fucking good. And he just turns around and immediately starts screaming at all of his followers like, "Don't look at me." He's so Don't look at me. So insecure. It's incredible. And then he like when he um so th- this is what I'm always scared of when I like a movie. It's just like, "I like this. I like this." But the that scene where he's he's staring into the mirror just like tell me what to do tell me what to do tell oh, me what to do tell I me what to do it. fuck it's uncomfortable oh, to watch oh i hate it oh it's great though right Ugh. oh man it is i don't know it's just like it seems like we are getting more of a glance within what a cult really looks like yes. in this this yeah. not this fictional movie than we would have in a documentary this is probably the best depiction of the headspace of a cult there we go thank you yeah i've never felt the same kind of connectivity between the members like i've never experienced the group think kind of thing and yeah. and the the druggy nature of their delivery system of information it really allows you to like get the knowledge that you bring to watching a cult story it lets you kind of leave them at the door a little bit because at first you're just like oh this is like a charles mantony cult okay i, I know yeah. what they are but you really get to experience like what a night with this cult is like Ugh. and what like being under this leader is like... I think everybody in the cult is flying like that 24-7, oh, right? Oh, their eyes are like like saucers <laughs> this whole movie. How else do you control people? Like, you just get them high on drugs and you just pump them full of information until they have no sense of identity anymore, right? Basically. Oh, man. That's why they're all so wrapped up in them. Because even when they're drugging Mandy, she like licks the straw like like it's just like oh it's it's just a regular day for her like they give her they give mandy like the smallest drop and she's just taking it like it's candy this this crazy squeaky from of the group um i like her a lot she's so fucking evil when that scene where she goes to the convenience store that you're talking about is so good to me see you later no one told her to go i know no one said find that girl at the convenience store and and be weird or yeah, figure out where she, she wasn't lives tasked at all so i think she's no. just doing like her own recon yeah it's just spite and revenge like she knows that things are about to go horribly wrong for her and she just wants to go there to be evil <laughs> like i don't know how i'm always surprised every single time we watch this because i always forget when mandy laughs in jeremiah's face and they go to like to get their revenge or whatever and they they burn her outside mm-hmm. i always forget that they're still at the house yeah they do it there yes that they literally they don't kidnap or kidnap her they just tie her up drug her and then the whole cult sits down on their couch and we we see their face every single one of their individual faces watching her burn alive oh. jeremiah sands is an interesting one because like you can see a moment where it, everything drops and he's not he's no longer happy about it. I don't necessarily know that he's ashamed, but I think he realizes that he is powerless. Like he actually does not have any of the shit that he's constantly telling everybody he has and has believe you know, he's he's bought into his own bullshit too. Like he he's getting high on his own supply for sure. Uh but Mandy's the one person that reminded him that he's just garbage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, they, yeah, they, they, they stab Nicolas Cage with some ceremonial dagger. They make him watch Mandy die slowly, horribly. 
and then they leave him for dead. They There's just... some like starlingy bag callbacks. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Oh man, there's like nothing left of her too when he gets up in the oh, morning and he like he's able. Just like a able... little charcoal skull. <sighs> Those scenes where he's back in the house uh, after it's all happened is rough. It's so sad because you really want to enjoy the Cheddar Goblin commercial, <laughs> but like you're not allowed to enjoy the Cheddar Goblin commercial. <laughs> man, the Cheddar Goblin commercial is is pretty great. Uh, like uh, by itself, it's a lot of fun. It's fantastic. It's great. Is it? It's not real, right? No. no. Okay. Yeah, it's that, a it's a Mandy thing. That's what I thought. Um, they do. They, there was some great viral marketing where they they kind of made me believe that maybe the yeah, cheddar. I think you can get cheddar goblin. <laughs> I think you can macaroni. <laughs> yeah, spec your vision. They're great. But uh, I mean, y- y- you know, fingers crossed. Like you haven't, you listening haven't been touched by grief in a, like a very personal way. But like, y- it could have just as easily been a Rice Krispie Squares commercial. Like if you're going through some shit, like it would be just as odd to you. Like the like you don't understand why the world keeps going. <laughs> There's a really great moment in that. It's right after Cheddar Goblin when uh, the emergency broadcast test comes on. Oh, that's good. And. Nicholas Cage is like staring off into nothingness, like lying down on the bed or whatever. And it, and you just hear like the emergency signal and they're just like, this is just a test. There's nothing wrong. This is just a test. Oh, man. And it's like for the rest of the world, everything is fine still. But yeah. like his world has just ended. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's fucked. Like that's that. That's just like that hollowed out shell of a person feeling where you're just like hoping maybe this is all a dream. <laughs> And it's, it's not, unfortunately. The fucking, the scene where he's in the bathroom, too, is also just, like, peak Nicolas Cage, but just, you know, as, as odd and weird and strange and funny. Uh, it's, as... it's funny, but it's not. Well, that's and what that... I'm saying. I think it's the, one of the best depictions I've ever seen of someone going through grief. So good. It's incredible. And also, it's, he, it's, it's a hidden bottle of vodka, right? That's the thing. Like, yes, he, he was very obviously an alcoholic. It wasn't just that he drank a lot and gave it up. Like, he, he has a stashed hidden bottle of vodka somewhere, just in case. You see him go through every stage of grief uh, in that. And it's, it's hard. Because it, at first, it's, it's weird and sad. And then it's kind of funny. And then it's, it's hard. And then it's sad because it's funny. And then you realize he's just in his underpants. And then it's like, funny and sad and and sadder that it's funny and you're just like oh go kill them can you (laughs) you know i i would love to live in a world where that was you know and nominated for best actor nicholas cage and that's the that's the promo that they show because honestly like i think it's some it's it's so simple right but and like maybe that's why it's so impressive it's it's in its simplicity but it is one of the greatest like, I think it's better than anything in Hereditary. Like, I'm sorry, Tony Collette. I think you're incredible. Whoa, John. It's it's on par with anything in Hereditary. Turn that <laughs> dial down a little bit. <laughs> okay, yeah, but I, you see what I'm saying. The one part I'm I'm a little iffy on in terms of like meaning. Can I take a Can I take a guess? You could sure take a guess. Is it the LSD doctor? Yes. Yeah, I knew it. I fucking it's knew it. The tiger in the cage. Man, it's the good. weird like bunker drug den. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's awesome. Drug lab. I love that scene. And like, it also, we should probably like from from the moment that that Nicolas Cage sets out to get revenge. There's maybe I don't know three lines of dialogue from him in the rest of the movie, and especially that scene. He doesn't say a goddamn word in that scene. He's killed a few people. He's going to this LSD doctor who I think is he's supplying them right with drugs. I'm, yeah, I'm assuming he's a he he was supplying the 
Cenobikers and the Children of the New Dawn. Yeah, I think Bill Duke was saying that um, they were the runners of the LSD and he was paying them an LSD and he cooked them up a bad batch and that's why they're all fucked up now. Nicolas Cage is there to figure out where the, the, the Children of the New Dawn are, where the cult is that he can he can go kill the rest of everybody else, right? That character... And, this, and I think this is what I was trying to get at earlier when I was saying that we should talk about LSD in this movie. I, that, that guy, it's like he's done so much LSD that he is, and to come back to a phrase that I've used in this podcast before, mainlining the universe. Yeah, it's he like is, he's just psychic. Yeah, and like that's the, and that's why he has the tiger too, right? He's just like, when she's calm, I know it's good. Because it's like the LSD itself is like a sponge that's taking in the emotion of the room. And so, like, if the room's got bad vibes, the acid's got bad vibes. So then when you take it, it's got bad vibes. So, like, if the vibe in the room is good, <laughs> the acid is good. I don't do enough drugs for this scene to work for me. <laughs> no, it's not, it's not really a drug thing, I guess. But, like, I... I I'm, not, I'm not saying that you do enough drugs. I'm just saying, like, I don't... I, I guess I get it. Well, that guy is, is also handling... Like, so he's got a sheet of paper. He dips the sheet of paper in the solution. The solution is the, the drug. Yeah, and he's like one hour photoing tabs of yeah, acid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's doing it with his bare hands. So he's moving the sheet around. So he is just like oh. ingesting acid nonstop. Can you just do acid day. through your skin? Oh, yeah. There, oh. Are, there are plenty of stories of people who are selling acid that have it in their pockets uh, that then go in the rain... <gasps> And or actually, you know, even more fun, Jimi Hendrix would put it in his bandana, from what I understand. So that way, when he would sweat on stage, it would continue to drip down his face and he would just like keep the buzz going. Whoa. At least that's what I heard. Also, acid lasts hours. Like you're only on stage for an hour and a half, two hours. Like, like you can't take a break. Maybe that's why he did so many festivals. <laughs> well, maybe that's also why he thought his guitar was a snake and he had to light it on fire at the Monterey Pop Festival, I think. Hmm. Real story. But yeah, the, 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 the chemist is um, is handling all this stuff with his raw hands. And the, there's a moment, too, when Nicolas Cage is there. He's got his hands up like, hey, man, don't shoot me. And then he sees Nicolas Cage. Man, fucking Richard Brake, right, is the actor's name? So fucking good at this movie. He's got his hands up, which still has acid on it. He sees Nicolas Cage's face, and then he licks his fingers. Almost like you would like lick your finger to check the, the, the wind. Like, just to see, like, what direction the wind is blowing. And he's getting a sense of Nicolas Cage. And that's why he's like, oh, man, they wronged you. Or or he knows how Nicolas Cage feels man, about the tiger. Man, you love this shit. I fucking love this shit. Are you <laughs> kidding me? It's honestly, like, uh, like my fav- maybe my favorite scene of the movie. Like, that's outside of Nicolas Cage. Forging the beast, you know. Man, that's my favorite part. Well, that's the thing. Like the 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 music in under that scene is the just score gets so oh, good, so incredible, it's so groovy. Johan Johansson stuff. When that comes on when I'm doing my writing, I'm just like, do 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 do. It's like, Kim, you are getting some work done today. <laughs> Man, not enough can be said about how incredible the score of this movie is. Um, like it, it oh, like <laughs> the score for this movie reminds me when I when I listen to it outside of the movie because like in the movie it helps me just like lock in yes it really assists because normally I, I have a hard time with movies that are super super visual and ethereal and like mood driving but the music is so ambient that i just like i buy this movie immediately yeah it's it's helping sell the emotion that is like at the the, 
the heart of every scene. Right? Yeah, it took me right to the back of Spencer's gift, <laughs> which is a very specific place. <laughs> and when I when when I listen to the score though, like on its own, occasionally it gives me the feeling that like Nicolas Cage is this gigantic planet-sized piece of machinery. And, like, we're just hearing the gears squeaking and grinding and pulsing and moving along. Man, it's fucking great. It's so fucking good. Um, Sorry, I, I took us off in a few directions while we were talking about The Chemist. I but, can't even remember. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, The Chemist is just, like, The, the Chemist is, is just mainline in the universe. He's, he's, like, you would say he's, like, on another planet. But it's, like, he is in tune with everything. Mm-hmm. Like, he's, he's vibrating on a different frequency that is, like, connecting with everything around him. Yeah, I guess I was just surprised by how neutral he was. Yeah. I, it's, like, is he Jesus? He's definitely got more like God power yeah. than Jeremiah Sands, right? right? Yeah, yeah. There's so, there. I have some really conflicting feelings. Like I think the cult is full of shit, but I think the bikers are really monsters, and I think the guy that makes drugs might be a deity of some kind. <laughs> well, I think he's he's tapping into that religious, harmonious feeling of everything like the connectivity of it all and then like i also think mandy might be an eco horror movie but i have zero points to back it up oh you know the other thing logging is bad (laughs) also there's nicholas cage is wearing a shirt that's got a tiger on it too like i don't know if that means anything and and then the tiger gets let free and then there's the tiger in the drawing and mandy takes something out of it there's another yeah there's another drawing early on with mandy and a lion oh i don't know That's that's what I'm saying. Like I was talking earlier, like I was getting worried about bringing up too much shit. Like that's <laughs> and yeah, like part of it is that chemist scene. And like I can totally understand why people don't like movies like this that are, that are dealing more in the emotion of the scene than they are necessarily in the story of it. I don't know that that Mandy is super art house like in the way that I'm kind of describing right now, but it definitely leaves a lot of ambiguity everywhere. I will say though. You are very much not a fantasy guy. You do not like fantasy. I'm not a big fantasy guy. I would say this is probably the most fantasy type movie that you like. I agree. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree. Does it increase your appreciation for The Last Unicorn? (laughs) The Last Unicorn was something you and I butted heads on a lot. (laughs) Because you were kind of just like, yo, if you want to rock with me, you got to rock with this. And I was like, I don't know if I rock with this, you know. (laughs) But uh, I think I need to read the book. I I think I haven't. I know you do, I and I I you. would like to. My problem with uh, my problem with that movie in particular is the music. I have a hard time with the music, mm. and I'm um, not incredibly nuts about the animation style. No, but I mean, here's the other thing. It's got it's got Jeff Bridges. It's got Alan Alda. It's got Mia Farrow. Alan Arkin. It's got Alan Arkin. It's got Mia Farrow. It's got Christopher fucking Lee. I don't know why I don't love it more. I I say story wise though, it's it's incredibly meta and very intelligent and i'm it's it's always it's always fun to watch stuff that you grew up like super appreciating and realizing that it's like maybe some of the smartest shit that i've ever seen in my entire life even for a kid's movie that's been fun but no i still don't really like fairies and glitter and unicorns and stuff like such is my but what about the last It's 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 a good movie. Don't get me wrong. It's just like it's very opposite my style. <laughs> like such is my dislike for fantasy that I even have a hard time watching movies like Legend. 
Yeah, I never really got into Legend, which is so weird because I grew up with Labyrinth. Like, Labyrinth is the yin to my, the last unicorn yang. I fuck with Labyrinth. Let's, let's, <laughs> okay, you know. Yeah, no, like, like, uh, like Game of Thrones even. Like, I'd lump that into fantasy. Like, no thanks. Like, especially if it's medieval. Mm-mm, no thank you. See, for me, it's like, especially if it's medieval? Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, like, you said it in modern day, you maybe possibly have it on Jupiter, but also Earth, and add in a bunch of, like, Cenobikers and LSD. Yeah, I'm there. Oh, what's that? Maybe there's also a cult that's going around killing people <laughs> that can't hypnotize? Sure, why not? Sounds great! Let's, at the very least, because we're going long here, talk about the very end of the movie. Now, Nicolas Cage, he gets his revenge. Jeremiah Sands is a piece of shit who uh, like, doesn't even believe in his own garbage. Yeah, he's like, don't come into my naked rock chamber. Yeah, God is in this room. Don't enter. <laughs> and they're like, I'll suck your dick, man. Is that what you want? The craziest thing about the revenge in this movie is how efficient it is, especially this watch. I was like, is this movie really? It's so quick. Like, it's like 20 minutes of the movie is him getting revenge. Yeah. He dispatches like the, the bikers pose like no real huge threat for him. I mean, there's there's a couple moments where it's looking, it's a, little it's looking a little. Yeah. But he gets rid of them and, oh, yeah. and he he starts picking off the cult members. And like, we don't even see him kill that old woman. We just find her her head in the yeah. on the ground. Which is great, too, where she's just like, I can anticipate my lover's every move. Cut to dead. Like, you're uh, you're dead. <laughs> uh, but like I it's the, it's the car ride home specifically I want to talk to you about. OK, tell me what you see in Nicolas Cage's face when he's just crazy eyed, smiling, possibly staring at the ghost of Mandy. I think that's just kind of a funny, sad moment where we realize that he's still running 120 degrees on adrenaline and mystery drug. Yeah. Okay. Like he's just fucking raging down the road. (laughs) There's a really great color shot there where we finally kind of do an, an exposition shot where we're above the trees and he's driving out of the the radius of the fire and it's all red mm-hmm. and he's driving back into like jewel tones yeah where there's like a greeny purple thing and i oh, i wish i had paid better attention during the movie because now i kind of have this theory that i haven't proven yet because i <laughs> haven't watched the movie again that while he's in revenge there's no pink and then it's all red. Oh, I believe that for sure. Yeah, and so that only when like he's so when he's with Mandy, we have all of the the spacey stuff where there's like the blues and the purples and all of those jewel tone colors. And then when she's murdered, he can only see red. He only sees fire. Yeah. And then once his revenge is is complete, it's like he gets to go back to that ethereal place. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming he's going to live out the rest of his days alone in the woods, but he's going to have his eternal love for her. Mm. So I think there's peace at the end of, once he comes down from that drug trip. Like, I think there's some kind of peace. I think I might see it the, not the opposite. And like this, this, this is also just maybe me sort of putting my own preference, I guess, for revenge movies on that moment. Because revenge is some sticky business, you know, like revenge is incredibly unsatisfying. Mm Mm-hmm. Is, is is something that I prefer in my movies, I guess. Like, I, I like it when a movie shows me the weight of revenge and, like, how much you have to sort of destroy yourself to get revenge. And, like, you never go back to being the person you were, which I guess is true with grief anyway, no matter yeah. what. Um, Either way, that life is dead. Yeah, that's the problem, right? Like, it's, it's so, for me, it's a real haunting ending. Like, I don't know that there's any good about it. Mm. 
But like, what else did he, he fucking is have? Like, what fucking high on drugs though? So There's like, that. He's I also high on drugs. We don't get to see him actually sit down on a log and like process all that went through that night. That's true. And like, does it even matter? Every single time I watch Mandy, it's one of those movies that I I see different. I see new things every time. I have a new interpretation of it. Most specifically, the very end. Um, it left me very sad this time. Oh. It left me very sad. But that that's just kind of revenge movies, I think. Like no matter what, at the end of it, like you can be like, "Yeah, you fucking did it," but you're still going home to a fucking empty house, like at best, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of what what I I noticed this watch along, and like you're saying, is that we don't really learn anything about Red when we're finally dropped with him in the middle of the movie to do this revenge plot. We haven't spent any time with him. No, not really. We've we've seen him briefly in the title cards refusing a beer at work. And the couple conversations we've seen with like with him and Mandy, but in in those scenarios like I'm more watching Mandy because I know yes. there's tragedy surrounding her. So like I'm so glued to her that I I I don't care what Nicolas Cage is doing. Like I don't care. He's I, th- um, I, I think that's partly why Mandy's title card shows up once she's gone and we're following Red. Because, like, even while we're watching him kill a bunch of people, we're still only thinking about Mandy. Mm-hmm. It's just that, that we don't get any huge character moments with him. So that by the time we are stuck with him, he is just revenge. Yeah. He is nothing else. And we don't we don't learn who he is as a person because at this point... He's not a person anymore. No. He's just, like, hunting. He's just a fucking storm so big he can swallow the earth. Quit with the storm. I'm sorry. I just like it. It, it sounds <laughs> It sounds cool. <laughs> so, Kim, what's your rating of Mandy? Oh, uh, okay. I'm going to go three, 3.75 out of 4. I'm doing it. <laughs> okay, that's fine. I'm giving I'm, it, wait, I'm giving it 3.75 horns of Abraxas out of four. Oh, right on. <laughs> I'm I'm giving Mandy a uh, I'm giving Mandy four out of four. Horns of Abraxas. Four horns of Abraxas out of four horns of Abraxas. Yay! Yeah, this movie is dope, and yeah. it's I think this film is very unique in that it transports you to a different mindset, and I, and I don't just want to be like makes you feel like you're high, but you get to see in the perspective of characters who's thought process is so different than your own that they are very rarely shown transparently on screen. Yeah. Especially now, like, I feel like we're in this weird surge of, like, culty Charles Manson-y movies. Yeah. And uh, Mandy was, like, ahead of the curve on that one. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. 
like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Moving on. Let's talk about David Robert Mitchell's It Follows. I used to daydream about being old enough to go on dates. I had this image of myself holding hands with a really cute guy, driving along some pretty road. It's never about going anywhere, really. It's having some sort of freedom, I guess. <laughs> Okay? You awake? What are you are not gonna believe me, and I need you to remember what I'm saying. This thing, it's gonna follow you. Somebody gave it to me, and I passed it to you. Wherever you are, it's somewhere walking straight for you. All you can do is pass it along to someone else. Find him. Did he really do it to you? Apparently, he used a fake name to rent a house in the city. This isn't real. I swear to you, this is just some game. If it kills her, it gets me and goes straight down the line to whoever started it. What exactly is supposed to be following you? I don't know. Something happened. That's not what she thinks, okay? You don't believe me. It's me. Everything's okay. It could look like someone you know, or it could be a stranger in a crowd. Whatever helps it get close to you. It Follows, from 2014, is currently sitting at a 6.8 out of 10 on IMDb, 95% on Rotten Tomatoes, 3.5 out of 4 from RogerEbert.com, and 3.6 out of 5 on Letterboxd. Fun fact. Uh Uh-huh. We've actually already talked about It Follows on the podcast. Oh, we're bringing that up? Yeah, we're bringing it up. It was in our second episode? Third episode. Third episode. Which is behind, it's it's in the archives now. Yeah, we were very, very new to podcasting. We didn't have great microphone stuff. Uh, Now we have pretty dope microphones. Yeah, so it's behind a Patreon paywall. I haven't listened to it since we recorded it, since we dropped it. I hope no one does. Uh, I also hope no one does. Thanks for plugging it on the show, Kim. (laughs) If you want to, it's on our Patreon. But yeah, it'll, it, it would actually be interesting to see how our opinions have evolved because, uh, and why I'm bringing this up, mm-hmm. is this is probably my most rewatched modern horror film. Oh, I'm with you. I think, I, honestly, it's, this is a stretch. And I'm sure some people might not agree. I think it's the Millennials Nightmare on Elm Street. Now, it's not a franchise film. I would never expect to see eight more of these movies. Mm-hmm. But I, I look at it like a supernatural slasher movie. The same way I would Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, I mean, this movie, especially online, gets likened back to Halloween a lot. And and you can see why. I, I mean, think it's, it's the score. It's, yeah, well, <laughs> the score. And it's got 
I was actually thinking about it while we were watching it. I think the primary reason, yes, credit to the score, but it's because of the suburbia. It's the old tree-lined streets and the sidewalks. It has that same Haddonfield neighborhood type thing. I guess suburban Detroit looks like California, Illinois. Fake Illinois, yeah. (laughs) Not a palm tree in sight, but it still works. Hey, I mean, Nightmare on Elm Street, lots of suburbs. That's a suburban horror. It is definitely a suburban horror. I will give you that. I, I am going to need you to to walk me through your, your Nightmare on Elm Street comparisons. But we can get into that as we talk about the movie. Okay. But yeah, so this movie presents a lot of like lore and theories and stuff. So it'd be interesting to see how our, our thoughts on the film have evolved over time. I don't know if there's too much to dissect beyond like, what is it? I think, I honestly, I think the biggest thing that's going to change, which has been... The biggest thing I've noticed in myself since watching it originally and rewatching it constantly is how much I appreciate the end of the movie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which I suppose we can save for later, but it also starts with just like a killer cold open. Oh man, is the cold open of it follows so, so good. And I think it's largely due to Disaster Pieces score. Like we are going. 10 out of 10, immediately. There is terror, and we don't know why, and we can't see it, but this girl is helpless. Yeah, it's such a great juxtaposition to... Hopefully we can key in some music here so it's it's super effective. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm transported. Yeah. The music, yeah, is like level 10, up there, super haunting, being chased. Like, Michael Myers is in the frame, at least how the music is presenting it. Yeah. But for us, there's absolutely nothing there. But a girl who's strangely dressed, definitely haphazardly dressed, is in her night clothes but wearing her night out shoes and is just running around the neighborhood and the camera is just basically rotating around the street while she is in a like a, a strange panic. Yeah, and even the neighbors are asking, like, you okay? Is everything all right? Her dad comes out on the lawn to see if she's all right. Well, yeah, because it's it's an odd hour. Like, it's got to be, like, dawn. Yeah, sure, somewhere around there. Like, it's it's definitely not your prime time slashers coming to get you hour. And I don't know if high heels were the only pair of shoes that were around that she could grab, but, like, does not, doesn't she just look so fucking helpless? Running around, I mean, like, that's true about high heels anywhere. Like, it doesn't matter if it's two in the morning. It doesn't matter if it's four in the afternoon. Like, running on, running in high heels, I've never done it. Looks not like the most effective way to get a, away from something fast. Yeah, how I picture the scenario going is that she discovered the thing in her room. She ran out of the house. And she got it to follow her, obviously, to the road. So she would have enough time to run back into the house and grab the keys to, to drive off. Oh, definitely. But... There is a point there where I guess she's running down the stairs to the foyer or whatever, and she grabs whatever shoes she can find. But, like, in that scenario, I would just be, like, barefoot. Yeah, barefoot versus high heels, going barefoot. Yeah. On the other hand, though, if this is not your first encounter with this thing... You need some shoes you to need, throw at it. Yeah, you need... Well, sure, maybe <laughs> to throw at it. She could have just broken those heels off, I guess. Like, just the actual heel part of the shoe. You can't walk on that, John. But he... You can't? No, they're designed, like curvy weird okay so it's not just like hey it doesn't just become a flat no (laughs) okay that's they're designed like you know those slides at the fair the ones with the bumps that you wear the burlap sack that's a high-heeled shoe okay so it's the most dangerous ride at the park and it's the most dangerous shoe from what i'm hearing (laughs) dang i'm like 5'10 so i don't wear heels (laughs) ever (laughs) 
But if you're running from a monster that is unstoppable and relentless, you, the last thing you want to do is step on something sharp, right? Yeah, so, but like, it's, tripping it's, and falling also seems like a, a worse scenario. And I feel like there's a precarious nature to running around in those shoes. Oh, yeah. Like, as somebody who rolls their ankle at least once a year, I... I'm terror like just, oh you're doomed just just well one I'm doomed would, yeah but like I get scared watching people wear high heels just like at events I'm like why are you doing that don't <laughs> you know how awful your life's gonna be in the in a split second <laughs> yeah and ankles are the worst you literally like step in a divot in the ground and your ankles just like woo <laughs> <laughs> what if your ankle thinks it's the MVP of the body like don't worry saved everybody I I dislocated and rolled us so that way you wouldn't break anything I canceled that step. <laughs> Like it's stealing the jump on a bouncy castle or something. Dang. It's really fun to watch this movie reminding yourself about not knowing what the entity is. Like watching it from Jay's perspective. Like when she goes on the date, when she sleeps with Hugh and the scenario on how it is revealed to her Mm -hmm. is... So unsettling. And unsettling isn't even the right word because they go on a date. He acts erratic. He sees something that's not there. And then they go on another date. And that's when they finally sleep together. And he drugs her. And he drugs her. And ties her to a wheelchair. Yeah. See, that? I really, more than anything, want to watch this movie with someone who doesn't know anything about it. Mm -hmm. I would have loved to have seen this at a festival and just gone in super blind because... We have a girl who gets, like, horribly mangled at the beginning. But, you know, it looks like she's being chased by someone, we assume. Like, there's no indication that there's a monster or an invisible thing. And once we are introduced to Hugh and his kidnapping of Jay, we're still under the assumption that maybe a person is killing these girls. Like, it's a serial killer story. Mm -hmm. And I would love to be in the room with someone who's just discovering that it's a monster movie in live time. Yeah, because in the moment where there she's lying out in the back of his car there's a really wonderful shot oh my god right uh, of her fingers and her fingernails like just playing with a little flower and he climbs in tenderly on top of her and he's like kissing the back of her neck and then he chloroforms her yeah and in that moment as an audience member like this is the big bad this is this is who hurt that other girl yeah oh no jay's in trouble all of a sudden this secluded area that you thought was like kind of romantic but also just private is now horribly dangerous because there's no one for miles yeah but the real reason he does it is because he needs to incapacitate her to get some fear in her because if if she doesn't believe then he's on the run again yeah he needs her to survive. He needs her to pass it on because th- if this chain breaks, then he's got to do this all over again. Yeah, but he can still see it too. Like that's that's an interesting move. The fact that like once you pass it, man, this would be even worse if once you passed it, you couldn't see it anymore. That would be scary. That would be horrifying because constantly you'd, you'd never, you'd, you'd always be scanning around looking for it and you'd never know if it was right behind you. It makes it for a harder storytelling device, though. Like, I'm sure. Makes... Well, I'm sure in that scenario, you'd see it if the other person died. Real good point. Yeah, like it would. It would just come back. Mm-hmm. But like, how would you ever know if a person walking toward you wasn't the like a real person or just a fucking monster? That's what I think makes this the scariest of those type of like stalking type movies because it is anybody in a crowd, and that is 
nightmarish. This movie does a great job, too, of just, like, scanning... Scanning. This movie does a great job, too, of just scanning a horizon or a open area, and, like, there's one person walking that's maybe a little slow, and, like, it's never called out or seen as, like, hey, here's your monster, but, like, you as an audience, like Jay, can't help but stare at people and go, I think that might be a monster walking toward me right now, but I don't know. Yeah, we, after we watched this, we went on a walk with our dog just through our neighborhood, and I have to, I have to admit that I was, like, a little scared. Oh, that's cool. That's great. <laughs> not, not that I was, like, looking behind me or anything, but I was just like, that movie has a lot of walking and following. And, oh, yeah. And it ends with a walk in the neighborhood around dusk. Yeah. It, yeah. It was, it was, I was very frightened. So my my comparisons to Freddy Krueger and the Nightmare on Elm Street are very loose. Like for me, I just think that they would do they would work on a double bill together or a triple feature really well. Um, but I mean, the idea that it's kind of a shapeshifter is is part of it, I guess. Like, yes, Freddy appears in dreams, and this monster is it appears in daylight. But there's there's always a sense of trying to convince your friends that you're not crazy and what you're seeing is real. I mean, also, uh, like, completely absent parents, like a sort of a fallen apart family, Mm -hmm. uh, which is definitely what Nancy's dealing with in Nightmare on Elm Street. I think both movies do a great job of not tipping that too much. Yeah, where it's it's kind of in the periphery and it's not, like, part of the main story. But I think it took me five or six watches of Nightmare on Elm Street till I was like, oh, shit, mom is wrecked. Mom's, yeah, mom is a functioning, like teetering on non-functioning alcoholic yeah what happened with the other parents and and killing freddie and stuff like that was a tent pole of her life and it was a ski slope down after yeah that. let's okay let's not let's not talk too much about nightmare on street because I'm, I'm ready to jump into that <laughs> with you but but which is my own fault because i'm gonna keep bringing it up even just now uh but like the, the same is true in in it follows their mom kelly and jay's mom uh is in a bad place right now. They've lost their father. I don't know how long ago, mm-hmm. but you can you see that in just the like the upkeep of the house. Like, and also, mom's just never around. And any, anytime we do see her, she is drinking, and by all accounts, goes to bed early. Not that that means anything. It seems like she works a lot, though. Yeah. Well, yeah. She's a single mom now, right? Mm-hmm. Trying to keep a house in a in a city that is just crumbling around her too. Yeah, and it's great that you talk about the state of disrepair because there is, like, a state of disrepair about the entire film. Yeah. Which is kind of wonderful. Like, I love the the urban decay. It makes for a really eerie setting. Yeah. Especially because there's... Apart from when we get to see it and, and the, the bodies that it takes form of, the set itself reminds you of death and decay and that's the real fear of it follows it's that death is coming Mm -hmm. and the fact that these young youthful people who are full of life are are living in this place that is falling apart there's something i don't know so poetic about it like when we first meet jay she's swimming in this pool that's it hasn't been vacuumed the leaves haven't been cleared out of it the sunroom, like, just behind her. It's full of dead plants. Like, it, yeah, the plants are dead. There's there's a whole bunch of, like, stuff on the outside of the windows. Like, this is why I'll never get a horizontal window. It doesn't make I any fucking sense. I thought you were like, no sense. greenhouses. <laughs> I mean, if I can put herbs in it, then yeah, sure, we'll I have, have a greenhouse. My dream in life is to have the practical magic house, so I would like a green room. Oh, that sounds good. I mean, that place would be so humid all the time, it's though. It's belladonna. And then you'd be like, that's a poison. I'd be like, it's for your tea. <laughs> We're just rehearsed line. Okay, I'm sorry. 
I don't think you can overstate how great Detroit is for a location for this movie. Like, and you're really onto it talking about it being like a poetic choice because this movie is about teenagers at that moment where it's not it's not that they're discovering their own sexuality but like that is usually also tied into discovering your own mortality like at some point as a teenager or an or a young adult you have to you have to come to terms with the fact that you're gonna die and surprise (laughs) yeah right like it's so it's so weird it's it's why teenagers get nostalgic for childhood stuff i think well and it's it the whole teenage period is almost like a state of mourning because you're mourning childhood and you're also mourning the fact that your time and your life are never going to belong to you again yeah like it's 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 presented in the like i don't want to get a job i don't want to go in the rat race and and stuff like that yeah i don't want to go to college i don't want to go you were like but all that's all that's really like at the core of all of that is i don't want to die right <laughs> uh no it's just, a bit of a leap but yeah just me just yeah. me well because i i just mean like like by submitting to that and going further into adulthood it's like you're consenting to what life is yeah and at, at the end of it is death Mm-hmm. And so you feel like if you rebel against everything, like maybe you can rebel against death. Like I, I, I will say, no one has that thought. No one says like, if I go to this punk show, I'll fucking live forever. No one, <laughs> no one says that. No one thinks that. But I think that's part of it. Like that's why you're always everybody in some small way has some sort of rebellious streak in them during that age period. I think that's a fair statement. It's. Yeah, you definitely made it a little, like, concrete about death, but sure. I th- okay, well, I-, I will at least say that's how I watch this movie. That's what I see. Yeah. What's great about It Follows is that it is never defined. Fuck no. It's- um, oh, it's so good. And so what it could mean can be so ambiguous. Like, I definitely see a lot about it representing death, but there's there are a couple other angles. Like, it could also be a metaphor for STDs or sure. sexual assault. But, like, what is... The what things is... that you carry with you mm. after a sexual encounter. Like, the, the, the lingering effects of something that wasn't necessarily a 100% positive experience. Like, there's, there's a lot of things that can haunt you from decisions of that gravity. And for a teenager... Sex is the biggest one. Like, yeah. I think that's the biggest fire that you play with when you're a teenager that can damage your psyche. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, is sexuality. Yeah. And there are so many things that you can catch, so to speak. Like, not necessarily sure. always just like, you know, like STDs or STIs. But, like, there are things that can damage you from those experiences. But I also think, okay, I have another theory. Sure. That, and I don't want to just railroad over theories. Like, we can definitely chew on these for a while. Yeah. This one might be a little off the chain, like you're all teenagers are afraid of death thing. I don't think that's off the chain. <laughs> but sex, like, sex itself is a creator of life. Oh, yeah. And therefore, it is the creator of death. A thousand percent. And this so, is not off the chain. This is okay. the movie. I'm telling you, this okay. is how I'm watching it. And so. Why do you think it shows up as their parents when they finally fucking die? Uh, because that's really creepy. <laughs> it's super creepy, but I think that's part of it. Like, if we're talking about, like, the cycle of life and death and, like, what sex is, like, you were born because of sex and also just, like, I'm getting a little far ahead. I'm sorry. Okay, so let me just say my, let me just put my theory out there. Let me just drop the theory. Yeah. And this is, like, really kind of nihilistic that when you have sex and, for instance, if you create life, 
you are therefore creating death, which is kind of, you know, it follows the this chain that you've created of death into the future. Mm -hmm. And that if everyone were to say, stop having sex, never have sex again, the it follows would die because it doesn't have any other people to consume. So death would essentially end with everyone. Like when, if, you, when you say death, you're talking specifically about that monster? I'm, I'm talking about death and I'm talking about the creature. All of those things would cease to exist if, if humanity didn't exist. Yeah. Death, okay. we would conquer death if we all died. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I like it. That's, I don't think that's too crazy. Like, I think that's kind of what's going on in this movie. And like, that you could, you could have gone out there and everybody got pregnant in this movie if you really wanted to hammer that theory home. Yeah. That like, oh shit, we created another death. <laughs> yeah. No, like, I, I think a thousand percent, that's what's happening. And like, that's something that I, you know, you got to, I'm not a parent. I'm not planning on having kids, but I'm sure that's something that has got to cross your mind at some point. And right? I think that's- That this thing's going to die and that's my fault. Yeah, there's got to be things that you're thinking of when you're a teenager because, I mean, you're, you're starting to think about contraceptives and uh, what you would do if you got pregnant or w when you would want to start having kids if you're going to have kids. Like, yeah. a lot of teenagers are thinking about their school careers and, like, if you want to be a doctor, like, kids are not in your cards until you're in your 30s. Yeah. And in any of those scenarios, I'm sure at some point you would say or at least think, I can't have kids right now. I can't get pregnant because my life would be over. Right? Ooh. <laughs> I mean, like, in terms of, like, the fear of sex as a teenager, mm -hmm. like, sure, there's always, like, getting an STI or something, and that that's a problem. But, like, realistically, like, the fears, and maybe I'm just speaking for myself here, would be that you would get HIV, which would mean death. Or you would get someone pregnant, which would mean the end of your life. So, like, the two things that were stopping me from having sex were essentially the things that would destroy me. That's, that's, that's what I was thinking about a lot as a teenager. Yeah, it's crazy when you look back, like, how, how monumental the things we actually had to to like come to terms with at that age. And, and then, like, yeah, like, you look at them as an adult. your parents are just like, keep your door open. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because it's not like your parents are like, keep your door open. We don't want you to die in there having sex. <laughs> like, it's not, it's not how it goes. But I mean, like, their their concerns are the same too, I, I guess. Well, I think parents just want you to go through all of those weird experiences in the best way possible. Like, when, when you ready, can't, you know. well, you can't <laughs> stop them, but you need to make sure that they are set up for success <laughs> sure. and that they're not going to damage themselves because you, like I said before, like there are all different things that it follows could represent in like bad sexual experiences, like even not even getting an STI. Like if, if you end up losing your virginity to some guy who ends up being a jerk and spreading it to the whole school and letting everybody know, or saying that you were an easy lay or like there's all kinds of different things that are completely non-physical that could come out of that experience that are awful. Yeah, that that is a reputation that would follow you forever. Yeah. Yeah. Or or it could just be like you were raped and it's trauma and it just and you have to carry it. Yeah, with and you. like you're just trying to have a nice day at the fucking beach, but this fucking thing just shows up and ruins the day, and now you're in an anxiety panic, and your friends don't understand what's going on, and you're shooting guns off, and it's just yeah, it's especially just wild. the line in the movie when Hugh tells her never go into a place without two exits. 
as somebody who like lives with kind of general anxiety, that is something that I can just completely understand because anywhere, anytime I go anywhere, like if it's a big space or it's a really busy room, I'm always like plotting my exits. And that's just, I think like an anxiety thing, like needing to know, needing to plan your escape in case you need to escape because yeah. your anxiety gets bad or just because you have like a little meltdown. So like, I always know where the bathroom is, where the front door is, where the side door is, where the patio is, where the quiet spot is. So it's like, I'm already kind of living with my own thing that follows me. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I just thought that was like a really interesting thing to point out. I'm, I'm sure a hundred thousand people who watch this movie with anxiety were like, I do that. Like we don't carve uh, holes in our closets so that we can escape out <laughs> the second bedroom in the house we're squatting in. But yeah, that's something that people with anxiety naturally do is just like plot the escape, even when things are like fine and dandy. Uh, yeah, and I, th I think that is like one of the biggest strengths and probably why this movie has had such a great life is because you can ascribe whatever you really want to it mm -hmm. because it doesn't necessarily have rules. Like the rules are relayed from a person who tried to get the fuck away from it and didn't want to learn anything about it, you know? There isn't a book that he hands or he doesn't say like, go look for Dr. Renfield, he'll give you the answers. Like that doesn't happen. Well, and he got it from somebody who didn't give him any information at all. So all of our information regarding what it is comes from, I'm going to keep calling him Hugh because that's the name he gave Jeff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's his credited name too, but I think it's like Jeff or something. Yeah. So all of his information comes from his experience running away from it. Yeah. This guy has had to do so much R&D that he's found a house that he can squat in when he needs to, which is crazy. Yeah. Crazy. So one of my favorite scares in the movie comes right when Jay kind of 100% confirms to herself that she is being followed. She's having the friends stay over at night. She can't sleep. Somebody breaks the, the window in the kitchen. And when she goes in to check, there is this girl who's definitely like died of or survived or just after a sexual assault. Yeah. And she is... She's got makeup everywhere. She's Her, disheveled. Yeah. She's urinating. Yeah. And, like, she's just not in a good state. Like, I, I think she's recently deceased. I'm going to I'm going to assume. I, she might have died, like, a, a, almost immediately after getting it, right? Because that's also something horrible that you don't necessarily think about. That, like, oh, I have to sleep with somebody to get rid of this. Surely there's some asshole out there who's like, I can just rape that girl over there and get it get it done with, right? Oh. Right? That's fucking dark. I didn't think of that until just now. This movie's scary. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's got to be something too, like unexplained, regarding the, sh the forms it takes shape. It's got to be shapes that it knows. Oh, yeah. And so like a lot of these shapes either have to be... I'm What I kind of think they are is either people who have recently died, mm. like people who have kind of crossed the line into the ether sure and that's why we see a lot of like the the old person in the hospital scrubs and the girl after the sexual assault but yeah then also people it's chased yeah maybe it has successfully chased yeah 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 because yeah. even hugh says like it might take the shape of someone you know or it could just be a stranger in the crowd like whatever it whatever it needs to get close to you some of the forms it takes are, like, friggin' terrifying. Oh, especially though. that girl. I think she's the scariest one. Yeah. Because there's a whole awful story wrapped up in her when you and look you, at And we her. don't get to learn anything. Yeah, no. Uh, also, the giant that, like, oh, yeah, has to course. duck to come yeah. into the bedroom. No. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a big no. I love, that, I love that it has, like, favorites that it goes to or needs to go to. Because that giant appears later, too, when it's trying to break down a door. Yeah, at the, at the, and then uh, it switches beach. to a little, like 
crazy demon boy. He's definitely the peeping Tom kid from next door. Is it? Oh, a thousand percent. Ooh. It's gotta be. I just thought it was some, like, dead little demon boy. <laughs> I love how much it interacts with the real world, you know? you know, like It is a physical thing. It is a physical thing. People just don't see it. When it shows up on the beach, it's just, like, such a great calculated move. And it, it's awesome, too, because, like, the entire group gets to see something strange happen that they can't explain, so they're all on Jay's side. Because up until this point, they're just being supportive of her. Yeah, because they think she's having a mental breakdown because yeah. she's sexually assaulted. Yeah, the, the dude fucking just dropped her off in the middle of the street in front of her house in her underwear? That's just And she was, her wrists were bound. Oh, like, yeah, like, the whole thing was bad. Like, it was just a fucked up scenario. Greg never believes her. One for, well, for so, not for one fucking okay. second does Greg believe her. But in her. that beach scenario, he was off peeing. He didn't see anything. That's true. But <laughs> so she's she's she she runs away in the car after that uh, after the 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 after it tries to attack her while she's hiding in the shed. She crashes the car, wakes up in the hospital, and in the hospital uh, is where she sleeps with Greg and passes it to Greg. Mm-hmm. Almost Im- like immediately afterward, we cut to Greg at school, hanging out, laughing, having a good time, <laughs> talking to his friends. Uh, so and like I don't think he ever 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 takes it seriously. I think he just always assumes this girl's crazy. And one, I got to sleep with her out of it. I don't, you're making him seem like a super See, douche. I don't, I, I don't he's think he's a, a super douche, but I do think he's not the nicest okay, guy. I think he's like a kind of a douche, but I think he's decent. Yeah, I think he sleeps with her because he thinks she, she's saying it's something he needs. She needs. And he's being nice and doing it, but I, I don't think, think he's taking advantage. Of her. I think it's decent. He takes them to like his fucking family cottage. Yeah, 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 and yeah shit. totally. Okay, I, I, and I, he was on. He was definitely on a date when she ran off and was doing something crazy. You're, and you're he right. went to go see. Like, I think he is a dude, bro. But I think they have history. Like, I think they all they played, slept together in high school. Well, and I think they all played together when they were kids. Like, they all well, lived yeah, they on, the on the street. same street. Yeah, like, you played with everybody on your fucking. Street. So yeah, sorry. Like, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I was unfairly painting him as a huge asshole. I think he's mostly decent. He's mostly decent. I really like. Him. But I, I really do think he's like, nah. She's just crazy. Like, yeah, she's I, just crazy. Yes, yes. I do think he doesn't believe her, and he's definitely humoring her. Well, whatever. It's, he gets it in the end, right? Like, if he had have, like, heeded the warning or taken it seriously for a minute, which it would be hard. Like, I get it. Like, if you think about being in his shoes, like, it's like, oh, some guy sexually assaulted me. Let's just, let's just, let's just say it. Because, like, all they know, like, as far as they know, he raped her, dropped her off at home, um, and said that, like, I've given you a curse, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and when they go to meet him, he's just, like, really... He's a nervous wreck. He lo- he also looks like a crazy person. And then and then uh well I mean Greg never really sees anything because it's too busy walking around trying to find him, I guess. Cuz he's driving from, you know, wherever his cottage was to the hospital, back home, back to the hospital to school. Like he just by happenstance He's on the move. Yeah, he hasn't uh Well, and he's got a car, which I think is a significant point. Like he is oh, always on the move. Really good point. Yeah, so it just hasn't caught up with him yet. That might be my favorite scene of the movie where where it kills him. It's a very creepy scene. Super creepy. Well, and especially we we do kind of learn there, or it's confirmed that you can still see it when it's not chasing you. Well, Hugh but sees it, it too. At the, the fact that, so it takes the form of his mom. Yeah, and when, it does. When Jay's trying to warn him, she breaks into the house the same way it did, and it turns to look at her to like acknowledge her and then goes back. Like it, it's almost like it knows she's like, next. I'll get you in a minute. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That's so fucking scary. 
it's also really gross. Like, oh, wait, no, it's so gross. It's super gross. Like, as soon as he opens the door, it just lunges on him. And when Jay goes in, I'm so glad she does. Like, I'm glad that they chose to do this in the movie where she peeks in to see what happened. It's like fucking him to death. Like, it's humping him. And he is just going gray and he's dying. And it's also really gross because, like, it's it's grabbing his hands and stuff. And, like, wherever they're touching, there's just fluids coming out. <laughs> Did you not see that? No. Oh, it's like full out handful of semen just like leaking out of their hands. Really? That's what it looks like to me. I yeah. never, I guess I'm always looking at his face. If we go, well, there's a close up <laughs> shot on their hands. Oh, And fuck. it's like, they're, they're just like a, the mash handful of like Vaseline. It's, it looks real gnarly. On, on the other hand, if we go back and we find out that that's not there, and that's just something my brain did, I'm going to be very upset. <laughs> I've never seen that. Because it's so gross. And I also think in that scene, as much as I'm watching it, I'm thinking about the cold open because you're like right because that's where you're like oh that's why her leg is fucked yeah because her dad came over and just like fucking fucked her to death don't assume it was her dad i can only assume it's her dad because when jay goes in the pool when they decide we know how we're gonna fight this thing it shows up at the pool house as her father naked and that's the other thing that i think is great about this movie we didn't realize that I, I think we, we, after we saw the movie, we were like, was that her dad? I think that might have been her. Because she also didn't want to tell her sister what she saw. I think that's what tipped us to think maybe yeah. it's her father. Uh, but when they, rewatching the movie, you can see he's she's got a photo of him in her mirror. Um, and there's also some family photos. It's definitely her dad. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when it thought she can't escape here. So it took the form where it's like, this is how I'm going to kill you. Let's talk about the ending yeah. because I think this is where the film kind of gets the most flack because Agreed. the rules, which were presented by one dude. <laughs> but what, what, are, what are the rules, really? Well, the, ru- the rules are that it is always walking towards you. We've seen it u- use tools before. It used a rock to break open the window to get Greg. But in this scenario, the- these kids have decided that they're going to trick it into the pool and then they're going to electrocute it. Yeah. Which, I mean, you know is kind of a dumb idea anyways because they've already shot it in the head and it and it got back up. But, you know, that's fine. Hey, you want to do a big swimming finale because Jay likes to swim. Hey, there are, a, right? <laughs> there there are a few rules. I mean, the other photo that she has on her mirror is her in the pool. That's <laughs> all she's got, her dad and her in the pool. When Hugh is given the rules, he says like, it, you know, it's slow, but it's not stupid. That's also what he says to her. Yeah. And we've never seen it go anywhere near water. And chances are it knows that it's got to walk. So it's going to walk into the pool, get into the fucking deep end. Like maybe it sinks. Yeah, right? <laughs> maybe it can't swim. Also, do you just, like, at this point, do you just live on a fucking houseboat? Like, unanchored houseboat? Maybe that's the way to go. Because like, well, it... if it's got to get you Pirates of the Caribbean style, then I say you you get on a houseboat and you just float through the Ganges or <laughs> something, right? Like, never anchor down so it can't climb up the chain. You're good to go. It's going to lock on the ocean floor. I, I say you camp out near Mariana's Trench. This I... is... This is really reminding me of the zombie guide because I remember there was a whole segment on like long term staying away from zombies and like an island's great, but they're going to walk towards you. So eventually you're going to have to move like thinking about just, yeah, endless walking like they don't have they don't tire. They don't have to stop to take naps. Like (laughs) they are coming. That's all. There's nothing you can do to stop it. Yeah, and and about it being smart, like I'm sure it walked into that pool and recognized that there's three other people poised to throw a bunch of 
TVs into the water. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, well, I'm not going to follow you into the water. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's smart enough to know to break a window when a door is locked. I don't see any reason why it can't figure out that they're laying a trap for it. Also, when they leave Jay's house to go to the pool, it's on the fucking roof. Because her room is on the second floor. I'm sure they were only a half hour away from it walking through her fucking bedroom window. Yeah. Well, and I think it learned, too, because it it already tried to get her by coming in through the door. And she escaped. And knew she would get out the window. So if it, like, subverted and scared her by coming in the window when she was ill-prepared. Boom. And her door has been blocked. So she would also have to move a chair from the door. Right. Pretty smart. It's it's slow, but it's smart. Pretty smart. It's not dumb. So there you go. Like, it, I don't think it's necessarily breaking its rules. I mean, like, the other rules that it sets out is that it can interact with the real world. It picks up a brick. It throws it through a window. It knocks open the garage door. So, like, of course it can pick up a TV and a toaster and throw it at Jay. Mm-hmm. It's a dangerous plan, though. Like, one, he's shooting a gun everywhere without paying oh, attention man. to who he's hitting. He shoots their friend in the leg. This whole movie has people just shooting guns willy-nilly at nothing. And it, th- when they do it on the beach and Greg hides behind that lawn chair, it's just like lawn chairs are not gun Lawn chairs aren't going to do anything, man. <laughs> oh, boy. There's, all, so there's a few other really interesting things in this movie that I, I, I want to talk about real quick before we move on. Specifically relating to Jay. Um, like there's that moment after Greg dies where she knows she needs to buy time. Like, unfortunately she ends up just locking herself in her room. Like she's agoraphobic because, and she's kind of just like waiting death out to a, to a degree. But before that she swims out to a boat where there's just a bunch of dude bros. Yeah. And she very clearly. It's a very vaguely presented. She sleeps with at least one of them. I assume. Like you, you're just insinuating what happened there. Yeah. Which is. Real interesting for her character because I I don't know that she took the time to tell them what was coming. She just knew that she needed some extra time. And maybe if they were on a boat, they would go somewhere else or they would stay on the boat. Like, I I, I don't know. The point is, I think she knew she's sending somebody to their death. She's killing someone. Yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, when we're first introduced to Jay at the beginning of the movie, like her save the cat moment is killing an ant. There's an ant on her arm and she's watching it. And then she dips her hand into the pool and the ant and the ant drowns and dies. Huh? Yeah. That's good. Because everybody in this movie, regardless of whether you want to do it or not, you're sending somebody to their death by having sex with them. And maybe creating children. And maybe creating (laughs) children. You're sending them into adulthood, I guess, is like the dumb definition. Like, there's even a moment in the movie, like, where I'm sure we'd some, you've had this conversation uh, with yourself or with somebody else where after they have sex, like, do you feel any different? Like, how how much does that echo across everybody's life, yeah. right? Yeah, and there's this, well, there's the scene, too, right after she sleeps with Hugh, and she's, like, looking in her underwear. Oh, f- like, yeah. Like, some, to see if something is different. Sorry, I actually thought you were going to talk about the scene with her fingernails, and she's playing with the flowers, and about how, as a kid, she was dreaming about seeing these older girls and boys and going for drives, and how she'd sort of made up this, like picturesque moment about what her future would be like and how they would just go for a drive and there was never a destination it was just to go somewhere but now that we're old enough and we can like where the fuck is there to go damn like this movie's got so many great little just like vignettes of the the feeling of being a teenager on the edge of adulthood that is is so fucking good I don't know if that resonated with you as much, but okay. No, it is good. It's good. <laughs> and un- unfortunately, we also have a character in the movie who's reading passages from Dostoevsky's The Idiot that's punctuating what the story's trying to say a little much, I yeah. think. 
She's a great character. Well, yeah, because it's basically like there's one point where she's like, death is a constant. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just like, oh, it must be so comforting to at least that in that moment to know that it's coming and accept it. Or even just the idea that it's bearing down on you and whether you want to or not, you must at least feel the urge to stop and wait for it to fall on you. Which is, I think, the ending of the movie when, oh, yeah. when Jay and Paul... Yes. When Jay and Paul are just walking down the, the street. And I think they're together at that point. So they're going to be eternally passing it back and forth to each other. You think that's what it is? Because he sleeps, he goes and sleeps with the prostitute. And, yeah, like I think that there's going to be scenarios where, where they want it, the monkey off their back for a bit. So like say they can go to Disney World and stay there for a week. Oh, uh, man. One just, of them's got to get a job where they got to go to Japan every once in a while or they'll something. They'll just, you know, kill somebody so that they have some time. But yeah, like... They're, they're, they can keep sleeping with external people, and but once they die, they're always going to be looking behind them because it's going to catch up to them. Yeah. But I mean, like, if you're, like, why do we get married? Like, why, why do we, why do we, even if we don't get married, like, if you're just the kind of person that wants to have, like, casual relationships... Um, you mean are you talking about monogamy or yeah well i'm talking like i'm talking about monogamy i'm talking about like why do we make friends why do we stay with people why do we make connections like i i I know it's i know it's just something that humans do but like why do we do it it's so we don't feel alone and like what scares us more than being alone especially when we're dying and like if if you're looking down the barrel of life and at the end of it is death and there's nothing you can do to stop it the only thing you can try and do is make your life more enjoyable and like the like it, it, at the very least you can hold hands with somebody and be comforted until that moment and even and even if we want to take it to a more cynical nihilistic place this is a sad coming, podcast coming episode. from <laughs> us who are child free people so i apologize to anybody out there who has kids because this is just a cynical view of 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 having kids Having sex to have children is in some way our biological fight against death. Like if we have kids that carry on our DNA, mm-hmm. a, a piece of us is alive. And, or even just like the, the thoughts and, and lessons that we can teach carry on to that person. So that way, when we're looking back our entire lives, we're looking back on another generation that's going to carry on, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think I like I completely agree with you. It's just so depressing. It is it is a little sad. <laughs> it's it's so... also just a cool ass monster movie, right? Like yeah. I think it's great. Yeah. It's it's weird that the the film has got like a strangely uplifting ending because as a general audience member, when you have this thing that's eternal and haunting, like if you're thinking in the literal sense of them being followed, it doesn't feel like it ends properly, if that makes sense. Like I don't feel any closure but like the fact that there's no closure is kind of the the lesson to be learned about the film so i think that the two themes there are that's the one point in the movie where they're kind of butting heads in that like this is a horror film and it needs to end yeah (laughs) in a satiating way yeah yeah, and also like oh yeah you've you've dropped a fear of death bomb on me (laughs) right Man, I, I do like how it's bookended too with uh, either with pool stuff, but also just like with Jay's fingernails to a degree. Like she's got like the, her cherry red fingernails that we see in the pool against the flowers. And then again, at the I mean, there's a few other moments, but then and then again at the very end with the pool just fucking filling up, which is like invisible supernatural blood. Yeah, I don't even know what that means. Like I couldn't even begin to break that down. The floodgates have been opened. <laughs> I, don't <know. laughs> nah, I don't know, man. Um, but another small thing that it kind of doesn't really relate to anything that I really enjoy is I love how ambiguous 
um, the time period is in the film oh, and yeah. also yeah, yeah, yeah. the seasons. We're swimming. We're wearing winter clothes. There's pumpkins at the beginning of the movie. There's fall leaves. I think we like, are right at a change of seasons. Yeah, I think but we are. What season to what season? Uh, d- d- childhood to adulthood, baby. <laughs> yeah, like I, I always guessed it was like September, but there's school's definitely in, in session. Yeah, I, I, there's just weather. <laughs> <laughs> we did not talk enough about disaster pieces score. Um, so sorry, disaster piece. If you're listening, we think it's amazing. We think it's incredible. And I'm sure we found an opportunity to, to splice some of it in throughout the episode. But Kim, uh, how would you rate David Robert Mitchell's it follows? I'm going to give it follows a four out of four. This is very interesting. Uh, because I'm going to give it follows a 3.75 out of four. (gasps) Like we are deadlocked in terms of which of these two movies is better. You gave Mandy a 3.75. I gave it a four. I gave Mandy a (laughs) (laughs) 3.5. Fine. (laughs) It follows wins, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, no, both of these movies are amazing. I think it's a four to four movie. I just think that, uh, I, I, the, the idiot stuff, the Dostoevsky stuff, I think it's just like, Fuck, I don't know. Maybe it's just because I'm older now and I've watched the movie 17 times and I don't need it. I bet, you know what? I think I remember liking that stuff when I first it's watched true. it. It's true. I needed that stuff the first six times I watched it. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, if, if you know, what it set out to accomplish, it fucking accomplished. God, is it a four Hitchcock four? rules. You got to play to the back of the house, John. Four to four, baby. We're back. <laughs> <laughs> We're back. Uh, tweet at us and let us know what you thought about this week's episode and what you think of Mandy and It Follows. At NOFS Podcast on Twitter. You can also find us on Instagram at Nightmare on Film Street. Nightmare on Film Street is, of course, listener supported by fiends like yourself. Head over to patreon.com slash Nightmare on Film Street to check out all the hours of bonus content available to you as a monthly supporter of the show. And if you aren't already subscribed, hit that subscribe button and leave us a quick five-star rating and review if you have the time. It really helps us grow in the podcast feeds. You're definitely going to want to keep an eye on the feed uh, this month, too. It's it's Halloween season, and we got a lot of really good episodes coming this month, including some bonus episodes that I'm not allowed to talk about yet. Dun, 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 dun. But until next time, I'm John. I'm Kim. Stay Stay creepy. It appears you made it out alive, but we'll get you next time. Help us to grow the horde. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. More terror can be found lurking on our website at nofspodcast.com. And while you're at it, Check out all of the other spine-tingling shows on the bloody, disgusting podcast network. Until next time, stay creepy, fiends.